don't wait until you know who's coming behind you. And for uh, the area of the business or the organization that they are superstars in, that they do so easily that they don't even realize they do this well, that's where the organization is most vulnerable. Of course. Because that, that outgoing leader doesn't think that they're doing anything special. So that's where the team really comes to the table, that the team needs to step forward and get that person talking. This podcast is brought to you by Dentons. We are the largest law firm in the world with offices in more than 200 locations across 80 countries available to support you everywhere you do business. We're a law firm that embraces change and can help you grow, protect, operate, and finance your organization, which is why Dentons is organized to offer more than just legal insight. We're here to help you find business solutions in a seamless fashion across the globe. Hi, everyone. My name is Heather Barnhouse, partner and lawyer in our Edmonton office. Welcome to my podcast, where I explore the topic of women in entrepreneurship and leadership and the ecosystem supporting the growth of this segment. Today, I'm joined by Jane Halford, founder and principal of Halford Consulting. Welcome, Jane. Thank you, Heather. It's great to be here. I'm excited about this conversation, but I wondered if you could give us, our listeners, a little bit of background about yourself to get started. Well, I've been an entrepreneur practicing in leadership transition for 10 years now, which is hard to believe. But prior to that, I was a regulator of accountants. I like to Mm. think that I was the friendly regulator, but nobody thinks regulators friendly. And prior to that, I was an accountant in public practice for a decade, focusing on small business. So I love that. But life carries on. So three decades later, I'm an entrepreneur. Excellent. And why the focus on leadership transitions? When I was a CEO, I I became a CEO very young. And I didn't have any uh, preparation time for that. So when I came into the role, I just found that I didn't know what I was doing and nobody was really helping me. Hmm. And then when I left, I felt the same thing. So I felt that I handed over the same mess that I had received. When I got out in the world, I thought, well, is it only me that kind of came in and out in a messy way? And then I started to think about my board roles and how many CEOs I had seen come and go, and I hadn't done anything to help them either. So guilty on all charges. And (laughs) now I thought, okay, well, what's really going on here and who can fix it? And that was when I got passionate about fixing it so the world can do better by our leaders. That is the quintessential definition of an entrepreneur is you either experience or live or, you know, see the problem and realize that there is a a better way or a more efficient way to do something. And then you set about to to do that. So not surprising. And also, you know, to your anecdote about like you came in and it was messy. And then when you left, it was messy and you wondered if you were the only one. Uh, No, you are definitely not (laughs) the only one. Um, Because I think, you know, from a board perspective or from an entrepreneur perspective or from a a giant company perspective, I think often those transitions are messy for, for whatever reason. And they're, they're not thought through. Like it's a, it's a bit of an afterthought in terms of what, uh, what people are actually going to do. So it's, um, it's very good that we have people who have lived the mess, uh, thinking about how to not make a mess. Um, because I think it is something that is, is often overlooked. Absolutely. It's, it's one of those topics and I hope the listeners will hear this today. You can absolutely make a difference here, even by doing small things, but you have to think to do it. And so that's what today is all about. I really want to pick up on the point that you just made about 
you have to sort of be intentional about it. And I want to set the stage a little bit that every organization, so if that is a nonprofit, if that is a, a small company, if that's an entrepreneurial company, every organization from time to time will face a leadership change. And that could be for a number of reasons. That could be temporary, people going on leaves for some period of time, um, people retiring, people exiting, the team growing and needing more capacity. And so those leadership transitions apply, I think, at every organization from startup to mature companies to mature organizations, public sector, not-for-profits. However, many of the sensational stories that we hear in the media uh, make it seem like those transitions are unexpected or they're sudden or they they sort of dropped out of, of nowhere. And they the sensational uh, exit or the messy exit can really toss those organizations into turmoil while they think about, you know, grappling with the change and the uh, the consequences of that. Can you help us clarify really what is a transition and why should it in fact be on the radar and not a surprise for these organizations? Every one of us can remember a time in some role where you were the new person and then about a year later you thought, wow, I could have learned a lot more faster if somebody would have helped me. So right. it happens everywhere and you're absolutely right. It doesn't matter the industry, the size, the, the maturity, it doesn't matter. Every role has this problem. Now, the reality is that we don't think about it because um, we do we go straight into business. And in, in fact, sometimes I think culturally, at least in Canada, we think that we shouldn't help somebody because it might offend them. So we actually mm -hmm. even hold back. And so if you yep. think about your own experience as the new person, you know, you almost had to go seeking that information. Nobody was showing up your door saying, hey, Heather you know, I might want to show you this, or would that be helpful? Nobody does that. Now, that's not because they're, they're bad intention. It's because they actually are just busy doing their own life. And so yeah. we forget to actually stop, pause, say, how can I help this new person? Because if they're successful, we're all more successful. And one of the things, and, and I've noticed this in particular with, um, you know, more junior lawyers as we maybe get better at, uh, you know, onboarding them, for example, and giving them training on different, you know, software programs, different different programs within the firm. One of the things I remember when I was an article, she knew about articling. And that's that's all I remember about training. Um, I'm sure I had more training. In fact, I'm quite certain I had more training. But I don't remember any of that. I just remember the lessons that they wish they had known that they then passed on. And then the following year, when the new crop of articling students started, it was the same thing on our side as well. So I think your point about how can you make it easier is it's so obvious the, the lessons that you learn when you're in that role, but it's not obvious to think about, about sharing that. And I think anything an organization can do to implement more, uh, I don't know, routine around that or more thoughtfulness around that helps impart those uh, those lessons. I, I, I like to think of it as sharing the secret sauce. Right. Like clearly anybody coming into the role can read the training manual or the briefings or whatever the case may be. But how do we do things here or who right. knows what or why are things the way they are? It's actually putting voice to those things that everybody else knows because they've been around. And that's right. where even coffee conversations can really accelerate a, a leader's growth because we're now verbalizing and hearing the context of all the documents that they can sit at their desk and read. 
Right. Or the training videos or whatever the 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 method of the day is to uh, impart sort of that institutional knowledge. And it's I mean, of course, that's important as well. But a lot of it is the relationship knowledge. And who do you need to reach out to for X or when you have this issue or when you're trying to you know put together a team and you don't know anybody? How do you you know find those those things? And I think that's um, much harder to document, but easier to, as you say, um, develop in a in a coffee conversation. The magic element there, of course, is time and um, unlocking or unleashing the time of the more senior people to be able to uh, implement that in a concentrated manner, which is a challenge that we all struggle with, I think. Absolutely. And you think about the the more senior the person, the less the rest of the organization is going to tell them the context. Like we're not going to reveal our dirty laundry to our new boss or our boss's boss. So we need to find a safe way to get the context out that isn't similar to telling tales out of school. Right, right. So you need to have the culture and the the safe space in order to have the conversation in the first place. And then the trust of the newbie uh, that that all of this is going to work out very well. So it all is good in theory, but I think different organizations would have varying degrees of success depending on those um, uh, elements that are are put in place. I have a question for you uh, that, that leads to that or that comes out of that, which is for those organizations, so you're the newbie and those organizations that maybe are massive or that are, uh, you know, they, there's lots of divisions and there's lots of interplay amongst um, different different organizations and different elements and people. How do we look at these leadership transitions in a positive, not a scary light? So. How can we look at this as this is good for the organization, this is good for the person, so that we can get over the fear of I might look stupid by asking a question that I maybe someone thinks I should know or or something like that. How do we put it in a in a positive light so that it's not scary for people to think about? I, I love that question because the more we make it a normal process, a normal business item, the better off everybody's going to be. So for example, whatever the organization is, they deal with strategy or they deal with risk or they deal with creating new products or serving customers or whatever's familiar to them. We just need to think of this as a similar type of project. So Hmm. you'd have a team, you'd have a plan, you'd have some milestones and you'd have open conversation about how it's going. It's the exact same thing here. So if the teams can actually take their discipline in whatever they're great at and apply it to the the project called welcoming the new person, they right. will get it. But somehow people think it's in addition to everything else they do. There's some kind of special mm. s- secret magic here. And there isn't. It's just a matter of adding it to your normal business meetings around, well, if we have a new person in the room, what context should we add? Or what should we tell them before the meeting? So it doesn't have to be in addition to a very busy life, it can be woven inside. And the other piece that I think is important is that, you know, we're always excited about the new person, whether that's a promotion or somebody coming in from outside, we need to convey to them that we have total confidence in their ability. We're just trying to speed up their success. So we don't give them the impression that they're already in, um, got their training wheels on and we don't feel like they can fly. Well, they can fly, but they can go even faster. They can make a bigger difference. And we're on side with them. Very different tone than, well, we're not so sure you're going to make it. So we're going to put in a a, a special project team around you. Totally different vibe, but the activities would be the same. 
Right. And the and the sort of special project nature is potentially part of the the problem. Like it isn't a special project. This is just routine, what we should do for everybody as they onboard or or offboard um, in an organization because transitions are bumpy, right? Does it doesn't matter, you know, who you are or what organization, they're gonna be bumpy. So let's not have that be a special project, but let's just have that be part of the everyday uh, way that this organization deals with, you know, its its people and 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 those elements. One of the things that occurs to me is that leadership transition is another way of saying succession planning um, or corporate succession planning, um, which often is thought about in terms of who are the shareholders and I'm gonna who am I gonna leave my shares to and who would be the director that would would succeed me and what do I need to do to empower the next generation to think about you know owning shares or think about taking on this leadership role. Um, and, and those successors could be other stakeholders, employees, you know, on and on. But an important element when we think about succession planning is really thinking about legacy. And if we frame it in this way as we're paving the way to allow people to design their legacy, then does that also potentially reduce some of the uh, scariness or the barriers to how people would approach this and make it not a special project, but something that we just do? I think it would help for sure. And and especially when it comes to somebody who's going into career retirement or selling their business, for example, yeah. because now they're personally facing this cliff of, I won't be that anymore. Right. And, and so there's a whole bunch of loss and grieving that goes along with that, which for the most part makes people shut down or avoid it. Yeah. Um, Every once in a while, they do some more bizarre things, nothing detrimental, <laughs> but 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 we need to settle that human because they actually are going into a very scary next phase of life. And so the legacy concept, if it resonates with somebody, that's great. If it doesn't resonate, the way I phrase it to them is, what would make me really happy is if on your final day here, you felt that you had nothing more to say. You'd passed right. on your knowledge, you'd passed on your know-how, you felt that the team that's going to carry on behind you has received it. They've heard you. And sometimes right. that really kind of softens the edge of people to say, oh, wait a minute. I, it's more of a mentorship mentality now right. if legacy doesn't fit. For some of them, legacy fits spot on. But if not, it's it's that gift that you're paying to the next generation. And how are we going to make that happen? Yeah, I, I really like that. And I think that when you, if you think about it in that way, you can consider um, your team. What what do I need to do to build a team behind me so that this project that I've started or that this company that I've started or whatever it is can carry on without me having to be here sort of day to day or, you know, doing whatever it was that that, you know, that you did in that in that capacity. And if you think about that, if you think about it in that way or in, in that, uh, I guess, through that lens, then the person who is maybe about to exit, about to retire, about to move on to this scary part of their their unknown life, then they it maybe gives them something tangible that they can do. Okay, I need to make sure that the accounting department is settled. I need to make sure that we know, you know, when this random thing comes up that happens once every two years, who's going to handle that? And as you say, I've passed on the knowledge that I can to the people who need it in order for there to be this continuity, this, this success of the, of the organization. And if they can check those boxes of the different elements that are 
important and that have contributed to the success of the company to date, then I think they can mentally get past the unknown factor of, is there some random thing stuck in my head that is going to make or break, you know, this organization moving forward? Absolutely. And for uh, the area of the business or the organization that they are superstars in, that they Mm -hmm. do so easily that they don't even realize they do this well, that's where the organization is most vulnerable. Of course. Because that that outgoing leader doesn't think that they are doing anything special. So that's where the team really comes to the table, that the team needs to step forward and get that person talking. You know, who, who do you go to for information or how do you solve problems like that? Or I observe you doing this. How did you learn that? So I think the curiosity of the team that's staying or the team that's coming in, if it's even an acquisition, it gives that conversation starter because a lot of leaders just dismiss that they know special things, but Towards the end of your career, you've got 40 years of knowledge to pass on. Yeah, maybe somebody's going to have to help you get you talking. Or, you know, even for people who aren't even great verbally, show me. Like, like, tell me about um, our top customers and why they matter. Or tell me about something you're really passionate about. Why does that matter to you? So try all kinds of techniques, but don't let them off the hook. Because that's the loss if they leave and they don't have that uh, knowledge passed passed on to somebody else. Of course, it's it's interesting. I when I was really junior, I <clears throat> I didn't see the wisdom of this. I just saw it as a barrier. I th- I thought it was very um onerous for the company, but I acted for a company, select for the company and they had a very sophisticated um employee participation plan in place. And so many of their shareholders owned smaller portion, like smaller chunks of the company. And of course, when you have an ESOP or you have some sort of uh, participation in in some way, people will transition. People will get old, they will retire, they will do things. Some of them will do bad things and they will be transitioned very quickly and different things will happen. And so in the shareholder agreement that was put in place, there was this concept, and this is pretty common, there's a concept of certain discounts. So if you do something terrible, guess what? You're not going to get, your shares will get bought out, but you're not going to get paid the full fair market value of those shares. And you've agreed to that contractually ahead of time. And, you know, everything is rosy. And in this, in this organization, they realized that not for everybody, but for a large portion of the sort of early shareholders that had come in, who, who held the majority of the shares at that time, that if any of them were to retire, it would take at least two years to successfully sort of transition to the next person because they'd have to find that person and they would have to have a little buddy for a long time. And they wanted some overlap because they wanted all of the these secret things in their head that they don't think about as being um, really uh, u- unique. They wanted those to be transitioned in a really um, thoughtful and deliberate manner over a fairly long period of time. So they put into their shareholder agreement that it would essentially be a breach and they would suffer a discount on their share price on the buyback if they didn't give two years notice of their impending retirement. And then there was a bit of a step down. Like if you had, you know, if you were in this um, C-suite, you had to give two two years and 18 months and sort of on and on down, down the rungs. And I remember thinking like two years, like that seems so long, but they had a guy before my involvement, who had been there for, I don't know, like 40 years, and he knew everything. And then he was like, well, 
uh, I'm retiring tomorrow. And he just like packed up and left. And the organization almost didn't survive because there was so much in his head and there was no leadership transition that they basically said, they were all accountants, by the way, they basically said, we need to have some financial penalty to motivate you to do what we want to do. And I think that really illustrates what, what you're talking about is there needs to be time and there needs to be a deliberate process and let's reward the people to, who actually will, will implement that. Absolutely. And I, and two things come to mind when you share that story, which is super interesting. I hadn't heard of that style before, but I can understand it. Two things are all the time now. Well, exactly now, because you've learned it, but Mm -hmm. What I challenge organizations is plan for the emergency. Right. So that if somebody just doesn't come back to work tomorrow, you don't have that complete loss like your clients had. Yep. And we've planned for that and we've got an orderly transition where we have time. And even if it's a happy occasion, like a nice sure. retirement or somebody, you know, is moving away with their spouse or whatever the case may be, then we can pick up the emergency documents and then add to them. So you're not starting from zero. So one of the things I like to challenge people about, and it doesn't matter if it's a board or a business owner or somebody in the company, even your small team in the company, spend 15 minutes by yourself thinking about if you had to hand over your job in two weeks, so you do get to talk, you go do get to show people, but you don't have a lot of time. What would you do? And that would be your emergency plan because, you know, it's a pretty dramatic to think that somebody's just not coming back to work tomorrow. However, it does happen. Uh, But if we, if we take that premise that we would have some time, then share those plans within the small group and let other people ask you questions. Right now we've got something really solid in probably less than an hour that can be the basis of the emergency. But if it was orderly or even from a cross-training perspective, you've got something to go off of now and it doesn't take much time. It's interesting. There's a a parallel in uh, sort of, you know, this succession planning or legacy planning um, that I also laughed at um, because my mother is the world's most organized person, which, you know, has its benefits, but also is quite annoying. Um, And she has some friend who apparently is more organized than her, who put together this binder that they that she called the facts of life binder. And I think it took her half an hour. And it was like, here's a list of every bank account that I have. Here's a list of all of my passwords. So if I got hit by a bus tomorrow, my executor would know, okay, I have a safety deposit box here. These are the people that you would need to contact. I have this foreign exchange, you know, bank account or whatever it is. And I was like, who does that? And then I was like, can you imagine being the executor that you'd be so in? happy, you'd so, be so happy, happy. <laughs> so happy. And so this con this, this emergency book that you're talking about is very similar in a corporate context, because it doesn't take that much. Like the person that prepares that knows, okay, I have five bank accounts, or I have this, or I have, you know, two houses or whatever it is, they know the bullet points. And that's so much further down the path than you are if you're just like, um, wh- where should I start here today? Absolutely. And the other thing that crossed my mind when you're talking about your clients. So the overlap time is something I get asked all the time. How mm-hmm. long should we overlap between the outgoing person and the ingoing person? So I think that we need to break that concept into two pieces. So the two-year window, there's a period where you're kind of doing regular training. So right. helping lift the next generation, expand their their understanding of the business, getting them to try some new things. So that's more the concept of succession planning and training. But when we know there's a switch, so Heather's coming in behind Jane, you know, chances are both those leaders are driven and they both want to 
um, own their own domain. Right. So quite often they both don't want a, one to be a trainee and one to be a supervisor. Right. So, so yeah, we need true. to understand that there is only one CEO or there's only one boss right. and there's going to be a date in which that changes. But mm-hmm. but we can't create gray space and say, well, Heather and Jane just kind of like tag team around for six months because right. probably What's both that? of us are going to be frustrated and the organization isn't going to know who to ask. So there has right. to be clarity about who's got the higher authority and when is that switchover date? Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point because I think I think you're right. The intention, the good intention of let's have this little buddy system for a while can instill confusion to a lot of people and and create roadblocks or create barriers that uh, aren't intended. So I think that's a really good uh, a really good point. I want to ask about thinking about so leadership transition. We've talked about how there can be many reasons, many ways, many iterations of what that looks like. What is unique when we think about planning for a retirement um, of a business owner or a leader? Um, who's exiting, when we think about that planned intention, I intend to retire in two years, two months, whatever it is, maybe tomorrow. What's unique about thinking about that scenario from other types of transitions? I think there's a couple things to think about. The loss and grieving that I talked about before is real. Yeah. Some people will hide it into the last month or so. A quick funny story, I was dealing with a client and, and their chief of staff called and said, well, our CEO is missing. So like missing how, and she explained how the, 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 the office didn't think he knew how to book a plane ticket and nothing was in his calendar. <laughs> and so the normal process of going about the world wasn't followed and he'd not shown up for three days. So oh, they're dear. trying to decide whether to call the spouse or the family or whatever. And so during the course of the day, he did actually call the chief of staff and she asked him where he was and he was somewhere halfway across Canada and what I realized afterwards, because he told me he just felt all the pressure of this retirement, the party, the saying mm-hmm. goodbye, and he blew out on them. Mm-hmm. He said, wow. I, just, I, did, I got to this new destination and I thought, how did I get here? Why am I here? And so wow. her comment had to be, are you coming back for the party? But that's just a small example of the coping. Yes, he did. Okay, but, but, you know, I've had lots of people ask me, like, I don't want to cry at my retirement party. Yeah. I said, well, yeah. just assume you're going to because it is a grieving <laughs> period. So I think normalizing that that we are saying goodbye, saying goodbye to people, saying goodbye to a role, saying goodbye to a life's work. It's hard, hard work. But I and think especially, other- especially when saying when when people think that that saying goodbye is saying goodbye to their identity. I have it only is- ever been X. I've been this founder. I've built this baby. And now now what? That's all I know myself as. And and for some, they've always had a team. So I've seen business owners and CEOs like on the verge of tears or actual tears because they feel so stupid. They don't know how to set up an email. They yeah. don't have an IT group. They yeah. they just have never dealt with booking tickets or printing things that they need. Like it's just so overwhelming for them. So they do kind of go into that space. And then the Mm -hmm. other fear that happens with great regularity, and you can phrase it however you want. The outgoing person doesn't want to be seen as a lame duck, dead man walking, uh, stayed before beyond their best before date. You know, all of that stuff is at play. And so you said earlier, which I really wanted to to reemphasize is 
they need to have meaningful work until that final day. And if that's yeah. handing over legacy, great. If it's finishing off a big project, great. If it's um, really even spending lots of time with customers or, or community members, and that's an important part of their work, great. But they have to have something meaningful, important, so they don't feel like, well, nobody cares I'm coming to work any anymore anyways for three months because the organization needs them to lead until that final day. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, a really Im important point. I'm uh, working with a, a group where we're having a significant leadership transition and this issue of, you know, meaningful work and what, what will happen and how will that transition occur has been at the core of every other issue that we've been been navigating and and you know in every transaction there's these strings that you pull and you have to give and take and and the central issue is is that is that identity and that ego and that what what will I do and and this is all I have ever done and so don't take that away from me but please please pay me a lot of money because I'd like that too but don't take away don't diminish any of my you know role or my my contrib my ability to contribute Absolutely. And when it comes to family business or founders, mm -hmm. when they're leaving, you know, sometimes their name stays on the door, so to speak. Right. right. So there is not this clean separation of you were this and now you're that. It's right. like our family name is on the door. Yeah. Um, I'm associated with that company. And so there's a different connection where there's almost need some kind of moral obligation for both parties to keep up the reputation potentially for the rest of their lives. Right. So, so I think that that's a different conversation to say, because people wonder, well, why won't, you know, the, the senior family member or the founder, why won't they go away? Well, yeah. they're, they're looking at their name on the truck going down the highway or on right. the door or on the internet. And they're thinking, am I proud of that? especially right. if I don't influence it anymore. So you have to have those conversations because that's real for them. They they carry that brand with them regardless of where they go in life. You know, it's interesting. Again, I feel like I have so many of these examples from my my sort of everyday practice, but I, I work with a, a family-owned business that had the same thing. What, what you're saying is the, the senior generation really wanted to retire, but they didn't really know how because this reputational uh, risk, I guess, is what they what they viewed it as, as when their name is driving down the highway or on the door or whatever, they know that everybody associates that brand, that product, that service with with them. And one of the one of the you know tricky things that we navigated was um, how long does that individual or a nominee of that individual get to have a role on the board? And how long do they then get to, you know, do they have vetoes on certain decisions, et cetera? And, and what it came down to, and this is so easy to say, and I'll keep you posted how it works in real life, is as long as they have the ability to influence the company in a meaningful way, they can still continue in a board role. And so this organization has a lot of um, connections in the community with different charities and different sort of special um, projects that might not contribute day to day to the organization's mission, but they're known for you know, their role in, in certain organizations and, and that's in, impactful and meaningful and, and um, valuable to the company. And so you don't have to necessarily be influential by coming to the office every day or by leading a team every day or by, you know, pick your sort of operational thing. But if you are involved in this golf tournament, organizing this golf tournament for this charitable purpose, 
you are still having influence. You are still leading the brand. And they all said, yeah, that's good enough. You can continue as long as you have the capacity and the willingness to continue to have influence. And, and for the succeeding generations as well, which is very impactful for them because of course, everybody wants to lead, contribute and influence in their own way. But that now builds the scaffolding. I don't exactly know what that looks like and who's going to be the arbiter of are you influencing appropriately, but that remains uh, to be seen. But that was enough to get them comfortable to be able to take the step, you know, to implement a, a, a form of a succession plan, which I thought was interesting. And it's a great example. There's a one, I think it's one or two page article by Inc. Magazine called You Were a Founder, Now What Are You? And anybody who's facing a founder transition should read this because it's a simple read. But it basically gives you a bunch of ideas about what the founder could be Mm. after the sale or after they step down or whatever the case may be. And and the premise of the article is it's it's a creative space. Define it. So yeah. if your clients want to well, talk about influence in the community and it looks like these kinds of organizations or these kinds of activities, great. Uh, if it looks totally different, that's great too. So for some founders, they just want to go tinker with technology and yeah. they want to have their little workshop. Well, maybe that's not so bad. Maybe maybe that innovative part of still is still a value. What we don't want is kind of to, they don't really leave, but they're still hanging around that's right. the worst and and the same thing in family business is like that is it's just hard because the next leadership group can't get traction because there's the ghost of generations past yes exactly exactly yeah it's a tricky it's a tricky space but it's it's not exclusive by any means to family businesses because in any company where somebody has you know held, held tenure for a long time there are upcoming employees or there's upcoming management group and they sometimes feel constrained and not able to really, you know, uh, fly on their own until that that space has been paid for them. So I love that idea of that influence and it being a, a blank canvas and a creative space and make of it what you will, because there's room for all kinds of influence, which I think is is comforting to both the rising generation and the maybe the departing generation as well. That's right. And and I know you structure lots of deals will be a one or two year buyout period where somebody still has a role. Well, please, please, please be good to yourself and talk about that role before you get there. Because what wow. what one side might think is the ideal role and the other side might think is the ideal role it might be completely different. But That's you right. obviously have enough common ground to do the deal. So I'm right. pretty sure that you have a chance of finding something. But if you wait, until there's misunderstandings, now there's going to be anger and frustration, and you might blow up the value that got created in that deal in the first place. That's that I could not have said that better. Like talk, 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 talk. Please figure it out, and then tell us so we can paper what you actually intend. <laughs> Absolutely. What if you were to summarize, and you can give me more than one if you would like, but what would you, what is your best advice for someone who is facing a leadership change in the next year? Don't wait until you know who's coming behind you. Okay. So as soon as you know that, that some change is coming, that's when you start planning. And if you're the person who's privately sitting there thinking, I'm going to be the one that's going to leave in the next year, well, then start to get your own affairs in order. What are you going to say to somebody? What's important to know? And you can be doing that before you give notice of your departure. And it might even be easier for you because the pressure is not going to be on. 
So I would just say, don't wait. As soon as you know the change is coming, start to gather a small group, maybe three or four people that are closest to that role and just even have a brainstorm. And if that's Mm -hmm. a, a, a lunch brainstorm, it's 15 minutes, package in a way that it's not overwhelming. Don't schedule a three-day whiteboard session to map out everything Heather knows. Like just make it less scary, less pressure, and just get the ideas out. And that would be the number one thing I would recommend for people who know there's a change coming. Mm, I love that. And I have been the recipient of, you know, uh, in years past where, where lawyers may have retired and they're like, okay, here's this file. And you're like, who are the people? What's going on? I have no idea. And they have all of that in, in their head. And and even to be able, so if they knew that, you know, that there was this transition coming, get them involved early. And maybe it's just go and meet the client, go have coffee with the client, hear what their business is about. So that while that senior lawyer, in my example, is still there, you can come back and say, hey, I had coffee with them. And they they mentioned these three things. What do you know about that? What would be helpful? So you have some context because you're going to get that context and there's going to be an easy way or a hard way. But why make it hard? Like if you know it's happening, let's just get on with smoothing out those bumps. I love it. I love it too. Where can our listeners find out more about you and about leadership transitions? Well, uh, internet is probably the best, www.halford.co. And uh, just for fun, we actually put up a page there, which is called Ask Jane, which is all of my 10 years of leadership transition content in an artificial intelligence So it's only pulling from my content and it's super fun to try out. And then of course, if the listeners would like to talk to the real Jane, there's a button there on the website to book a time. And I would just love that. I love talking to people about this. I could do it all day long. Well, thank you so much for taking time to talk to me today about leadership transitions. This was very fun. And I think that it will resonate with our listeners because there isn't an organization that is immune from leadership transitions. And I think if we can get our head around that, we're just better prepared to face whatever comes next. Thank you so much, Heather. Thank you for joining the podcast today. If you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe or follow to get notified when we have an update. 